On today's episode of the SSPX podcast, we'll continue our apologetic series by looking at the concept of revelation. Last time we saw that it was not just possible, but necessary for man to practice religion. Today we'll investigate the obvious next question. How do we know what to do for this religion? Can we figure it out all on our own? Or do we need God to tell us? And is it even possible for God to tell us to speak to humans? It initially seems beyond credibility. You can find notes to all of these episodes at sspxpodcast.com slash apologetics, as well as all of our previous episodes. There as well, you can find a link to help support this project. This is free to listen to as well as all the resources we're posting, but if you can help with a one-time or a small monthly recurring donation, you'll be making sure that we can continue this work of producing good Catholic content on a regular basis. Now let's join Father Paul Isaac Franks for episode number six of our apologetic series here on the SSPX podcast. Welcome back to the SSPX podcast, our next installment of the apologetic series. Father Franks, what did we do to earn having you here two weeks in a row? Well, Andrew, I just uh, didn't get to say everything I wanted to say last time, and it was already oh, long, okay. so here we are. Well, I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. I'll take, we'll take it as a good thing. Then. <laughs> and it is a good thing. We always appreciate having you back. Um, last time we were talking, we were talking about the idea that man owes to God a religion, that it is a duty uh, that right. we practice a religion. Uh, and we're going to be talking about a couple different things today. Uh, but the idea that man needs to practice a religion, I guess I'd start off by asking the question, is it possible for different men to practice different religions and for that to fulfill the need for man to practice a religion? Yeah, that's a good question. So we already indicated together last time this idea of the possibility of God revealing, God revealing a religion. Um, we're going to talk about that more today, what is revelation. But let's say there is either natural religion, which means God hasn't told us anything, but you can know certain things by using your intellect correctly. And for Catholics, natural religion or for tra- traditional um perennial philosopher thinkers, um, natural religion would include thinking there's one God, thinking that you have a human soul, thinking that there's a you should keep the natural law on basic things, not kill innocent people, not steal property that doesn't belong to you, not tell lies, uh, respect natural institutions that you can recognize to be natural institutions like marriage, we can talk about in a different series, um, or maybe later here, how for those who align themselves with the perennial philosophy, marriage itself is an institution that can be recognized to be of the of the natural order. So um, keep the natural law, worship God according to what you can know about him by using your reason, and recognize religious truths about God and so on, God and your relationship with him as known by your natural reason. That's what we would call natural religion. Now, let's say God never revealed anything. There would still be the obligation of natural religion, which everybody would be held to. And that would mean they would have to agree on basic things, um, 
a religion, we were going to say, a religion is only going to be legitimate and valid and true if it tells the truth about God, if it leads man to his ultimate goal, if it leads, teaches a moral life that will get man um, to the good, a good moral life, a reasonable life, and um, to his last end, and if it worships God in the way that he wants to be worshipped. There's three things. So in other words, we said them before, creed, code, cult. If, right. if the creed is the truth about God, if the code is the actual rule of morality, which is reasonable, and if the, um, the cultus, the worship, is due and fitting as for God as he should be worshipped. So let's say God didn't reveal anything. Those, to, to be a, a valid kind of expression of a natural religion, any religion would have to per- perfectly express those things. There might be some variations in cultural expression within a narrow frame. Because if God never revealed anything, there would be certain details that he was just leaving up to um, the individuals or the societies to determine. So it's not incompatible. There would have to be a basic kernel of, of belief. And anybody who dissented from those things, you know, so if you had natural religion, which says we have to believe in one and worship one God, and you've got another claim that says, oh, there's two gods, then the one that was didn't teach the truth about God would not be a true religion. Right. So f- from that on, point... On I, broad facts, on broad principles, they cannot be different from each other. You can't have two totally separate creeds or codes or cults, essentially. If there's a truth about God, if there's an objective reality about God, if there's an objective reality about human reality... Um, moral life, there's an objective reality about the worship of God, then you kind of have two contradictory religions and have them both true. Sure. Okay. So the whole idea that there's one true religion and not two contradictory true religions is based on the idea that the truth, religious truth is objective. There is a God, he really exists, and you can describe him accurately in human language or inaccurately in human language. Such that to say one, there's one God is true, to say there's two gods is false. So in that sense, any religion in the old days or before prescinding from Revelation that posited um, all the truths of natural law and held men to them and led men to, the, to worship God in a fitting way, you could say it's a true expression of natural religion. Then we got the question of revelation. So what if God has actually told us things from heaven? This is what you're meant to believe. This is how you should act. This is how I want you to um, live in your moral lives. If God has actually told us things, now we're talking about not natural religion, but a revealed religion or a supernatural religion that's come to us by knowledge above just what we thought about with our brains, with our intellects, but really given to us by God. If he's revealed something, then 
again, the re legitimate religion will be the one which tells us the truth about God, which teaches us the truth about morality, and that worships God the way he wants to be worshipped. So you cannot have contradictory religions and have them both true. They can be both false, but they can't be both true. Because contradictories can't be true at the same time. Um, basic premise of sure. logic and thought. Yeah. <laughs> so, right, that just makes sense. So if one, this, but this is, the modern mentality is like, this is my truth, I've told you my truth, now you tell me your truth. I believe that there's one God, that's nice. I believe that there are 50 gods, okay, that's nice. Well, I believe that there's no God, okay, well. We've just all told each other our truths, and they're all valid because they're all um, sure. symbolically nourishing for us, or whatever it is. And it's just like I believe that I am God. You, whatever. All of that is just the, the premise. There is if there are multiple contradictory truths, the premise there is modernist and subjective. It's like there is no truth. There's no objective reality from which you could say, this is true, this is false. It all just exists in my mind, in my heart. It's in me. Mm -hmm. So truth is a function of me. That kind of man is the measure of all things. Not, cl not clear that that's what it w originally meant, but that's what it means now. Yeah. So if there's an objective truth, if religion corresponds to an objective truth, then there can only be one true religion. Mm -hmm. Anything that okay. contradicts the contradiction would be a sign of of falsity from the truth. So, so then the next step, I guess, truth. is if there are contradictory religions based in man's natural interpretation of things, which there have been throughout history, mm. then how do you know which one is true? And that's when we start to get into Revelation. Am I following the thread right? Well, no, I think that's a very good question because how do we know that we've actually captured natural religion accurately? Right. You can make a case for what is reasonable and you can hope that you have a, a rightly working intellect. But I think Father McFarlane's going to be telling us um, in order to help us in our confusion as a, a race, God deigned to teach us things that were naturally knowable. There's one God, you have a spiritual soul, don't murder people, um, respect the institution of marriage, also deliberate, deliberately posed sexual acts when you're not married and not reasonable, and the rest. Even some things that there are certain tendencies on the part of human beings to struggle about. So, McFa Father McFarland will talk about that. Okay. But it's true, God does, did concretely, we claim, did back up natural religion by deigning to reveal some of those same truths so that we could know them with a greater certainty with a certainty of, well, God cannot lie, and God cannot get it wrong, and he said this, so I've got to believe it. It's more persuasive, you know, if, if you're reading a book of Cicero, and Cicero's like, hey, you shouldn't be like going out on Friday night and um, having a wild time 
and doing all sorts of things that sound morality doesn't improve when you're like, yeah, 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 yeah it's just Cicero. <laughs> right. But if God yeah. tells you, that gives it a little bit more authority, hopefully. You would think. No, it should do. Right. Okay, so we have we have truths that we know through our reason, and and essentially we we can come up with a basis for religion just based on our reason. Um, but then again, like like you were saying, God has given us these this revelation, and or or at least we'll we'll establish that it is possible for God to give us revelation. Right. I think yeah. That's that's all we need to say right now. It's not impossible. It's not impossible that there should be a supernatural religion. And what is a supernatural religion? Not just a religion that's known by human, let's say, human intellect on its own, just doing its work, thinking, without any particular divine assistance or intervention. Not just a religion that orders human actions to their do natural ends, you know, but something that really exceeds or comes above what we could know naturally and even what we could do naturally. So, for example, it, a religion that makes known to us mysteries that are unknowable to human powers. It's not mm -hmm. impossible that there should be such a thing. And that's the idea. What would that be? God, we say revealing. Revelare. Revelare is to take back a veil. To remove a veil which was hiding divine things from human sight. Revelation is to remove that, to, to pull it back. To remove the veil between... God and man. And so that's the, the word, that's what the word means of revelation. But what would the reality be? Simple re definition, a divine action beyond the course of nature, beyond the natural order, that manifests to us a divine truth previously hidden. If you want a, a more full um, explanation, definition, there's, this is the apologetics, one of the apologetics Bibles or big source books. It's a translation of Garrigou Lagrange's on divine revelation, De Revelatione in, in Latin, translated by uh, Dr. Matthew Minard, who is a very interesting writer, um, just done lots of great things. He seems to be working his way systematically through translating everything that Garrigou Lagrange has ever written, for which wow. those who don't read Latin can be justly very grateful because uh, these are important, important things to read, kind of scholarly a little bit, but... Still very beautiful, important things to read. Gary Lagrange gives a, a fuller definition of revelation. An action, divine, free, and essentially supernatural, by which God, in order to lead the human race to a supernatural end, which consists in the vision of the divine essence, 
speaking to us through the prophets and lastly through Christ, manifests under a certain obscurity, supernatural mysteries, and natural truths of religion. Okay, that's already a Catholic definition of what revelation is. So sure. Gary Goo is just cutting to the chase and he's doing a, revel- a definition of revelation um, presupposing that revelation has taken place. He's, he's not doing an apologetics that aims to um, completely prescind from that, but which is fine. Why should he? He's sure. a Catholic priest. Um, right. So, but a divine action beyond the order of nature that manifests to us of truth previously hidden. That's a kind of a general definition of, of what the revelation is. It reveals to us a mystery. A mystery. What is a mystery? Something that we couldn't naturally know. Through all the reason and all the logic at our disposal, there's no way we could figure this certain thing out. So God right. gives it to us. Okay. And I already talked, gave you a couple of examples of that sort of thing. So the existence of angels. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Who knows if there are angels or not? It, we can say there could be, but mm-hmm. are there? And and God, if we if God wants us to have that knowledge, He'd be like, "Yep, there are angels." Or no, there are not angels. If that were the case, um, so revelation can be, we would say, private or public. This is sort of Catholic division now. Private revelation is not intended necessarily for everyone. It pertains most to the person it's revealed to. Public revelation is meant for everyone. And certainly in Catholic terms, the public revelation is understood to be everything that God revealed and meant to be believed by everybody with the virtue of faith and to have closed around the death of the the last apostle, after which time it was just taught and passed on by the Catholic Church. And then you can also have another way of dividing what sort of revelations you could have. It could be immediate or mediate. So immediate revelation is God tells me, Father Franks, and he enlightens my intellect and teaches me things and gives me a certain divine light to know God is speaking to me. When was the last time that happened? For you. Uh, not not for a while. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Not since not since COVID. Yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> All right. Um and then uh then you can have immediate revelation, which is more like God tells Bob, Hey, go tell this to everybody. And Bob comes to me and says, Father Franks, God says this. Okay. That would be immediate revelation. Okay. So it's made through another man who's authorized in the name of God. Just like a king might send um, orders through his legate or a delegate rather than sending the orders through himself. The orders, the information, the instruction still comes from the king. Mm-hmm. So... But the the delegate comes to me, or the paper, the the nuncio, the legate, whoever he is, and he says the king wants you to do this. Okay, and I know the king wants me to do that. 
he's kind of invested with the authority of the king. And if I say, how do I know that the king told you to do that? Then he'd better have some proof. Well, this is the document sealed in the king's own hand or something, or with the royal seal, whatever it is. That's the immediate, the idea of immediate revelation. And then there's another last thing to say. Is that that's more about, the first one is about who it's meant for, public or private. How many people is it meant to reach? Public is meant to be, to reach everybody. Private could be for a group or a, an individual. The immediate or immediate, is it to me directly or is it to me through a spokesman. And then the last one is how, what's the content? Because it's possible that God could reveal things that are just naturally unknowable and mysterious in themselves. And on the other hand, it's possible that he could reveal things that are just naturally knowable. So, for example, let's say the sinful nature of fornication. <laughs> Naturally knowable, but in view of human um, proclivity, concretely, mm -hmm. um, might be hard for some people to grasp. Right. It's not intuitive. So it's, it's reinforcing. It's reinforcing what should already be obvious, but because of our fallen nature, maybe it's, it's not as widely believed or it's widely... It's not intuitive to everybody that that's the case. Sure. Okay. So God... Um, could just reveal that. And if he did that, we would say it's his revelation would be supernatural, made in a supernatural manner, because it's a, a truth that we could naturally discover that we learn or we get reinforced by God actually directly intervening to tell us, which means it's a supernatural manner, but it's still t teaching us a naturally knowable truth. So we'd say, Garrigou would say modally supernatural or supernatural as to its manner of revelation, but substantially natural. It's a naturally knowable thing that God deigns to tell us in a supernatural way. Or you could have something that is really the, the substance of the thing that God reveals is actually unknowable by human reason at all, which is, we're going to say, substantially a supernatural revelation. Now, the examples which spring to my mind are Catholic examples, the Trinity. Right. Um, two natures of our Lord Jesus Christ united in one person. Those things we say they're mysteries. Mm -hmm. They're mysteries that unless God were to tell us, there is no way we could get to that truth. That's what we call revelation, which is, let's say, substantially supernatural, as opposed to just supernatural in its manner of being made known to us. Okay. So though I'm just kind of putting out a few things up front so we can say, okay, is, re is revelation a possibility at all? Right. So all now, of that stuff that we've been talking about is... This is what revelation is or could yeah. be. So the revelation could be this. There are different things, sorts of revelation that could happen potentially. Okay. Well, 
But could they really happen, I guess, is the next question. Is it even possible? And so what is possibility? It means it, it could exist. What's the opposite of possible? Impossible. Why is something impossible? Because it the, can't exist. It can't happen. Right. So right. At, the, at the base, there are different sorts of possibility as well. Everything gets complicated when you're scholastic, but um, sure. it's not really complicated. It's simplified, but it's simplified through the work of distinction. Um, right. We talk about something that is possi- absolutely possible, metaphysically possible which means it does not have a contradiction in its nature. It doesn't contain contradictories. So it's not impossible to have. It doesn't mean that anyone can make one, right? Mm-hmm. Only God can. But, for example, a griffin. Is there such a thing as a griffin? What is a griffin? The, the mythical griffin. Right. Uh, what like, is it? B- body of a lion, wings. Wings of an eagle, I think. Right. Something like that. So it's a, it's a composite a animal. Yeah. Right. So is it impossible? No. It's not metaphysically impossible. It could right. be. There's no contradiction in terms between having legs this way and having wings that way. Or a unicorn. Yeah. Or a unicorn. Right. There's no. There's no absolute impossibility. There's no contradiction between the terms of having a horse and having a horn on its head. Sure. Versus, for example, a square circle. All of this stuff, right? A square circle, a rock so heavy God can't lift it. All of that sort of thing. There is literally a contradiction between those two terms. Square excludes circularity. By definition. So you cannot have a square circle because you cannot have something that's square and non-square at the same time in the same respect. This is what scholastics call the principle of non-contradiction. And it's the basic, one of the basic tests of reality, of thought. Cannot have contradictories at the same time in the same respect. So... A square circle would be a square and a non-square at the same time in the same respect, and a circle and a non-circle at the same time in the same respect. It's not a thing, right? Is a square circle possible? No. Even by the absolute power of God? No. Oh, no. Does that mean God's not powerful? No, it means that it's not a thing. You can't create a thing that's not a thing. (laughs) So right. the perfection of being a circle is the fact that it is a perfect circle. The perfection of being a square is that it's a perfect square. It doesn't take anything away from God that he can't do both of those or that he can't combine those because then it would not be perfect circle nor square. Therefore, it doesn't contradict his perfection, I think. Yeah, the, I mean, there is no such thing as a square circle. There are, there are, they are words that we can put together, but they don't correspond to even a thought. Right. Or, and certainly not to a reality. Um, I think it was Mortimer Adler who said, maybe not, I think it was Mortimer Adler who said, we can say many more things than we can think. Mm-hmm. They're words that don't correspond to a determinate thought. There is no 
there's no nature that corresponds to that thing, that, that, that formulation. So that has no, we'll say, intrinsic possibility because it is contradiction in terms. My best quote about the principle of non-contradiction was, I think, Averroes, the, uh, the Muslim philosopher Averroes, and he is purported to have said, he who denies the principle of non-contradiction should be beaten and burned. Beaten until he concedes that being beaten and not being beaten are not the same thing by saying, stop beating me. <laughs> burned until he concedes that being burned and not being burned are not the same thing by saying, stop burning me. Now, I'm not advocating that we beat or <laughs> right. burn anybody, just for clarity's sake. But um, it's a very fresh way of putting things. Isn't it? Sure. <laughs> it makes right. the point. I mean, it, it absolutely makes the point. Yep. So anything we say that is not doesn't contain a contradiction in terms, has intrinsic possibility. It could be. It doesn't follow that it has extrinsic possibility that there's somebody who can make it. Well, yes, by the divine power, anything that doesn't contain a contradiction in terms, God could make. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't follow that by human agency, anybody can make a unicorn or a griffin. So... Um, Extrinsic possibility means that there is a cause existing that can bring that thing into being, really. Well, there is by the divine will, except God might not want to make a unicorn or a griffin. He could. It doesn't follow that there's a human cause that can do that. So basically, what do we need to do to prove that miracles are possible? Not miracles, miracles as well. Um, revelation. All we need to prove is that it doesn't involve a contradiction. If the, if the notion, the account of revelation is not contradictory, then it has intrinsic possibility. And if it has intrinsic possibility, there is a power that could do it, which is God. If he wants to. Fair enough? Makes sense. So... Um, there's another way of showing that something is possible as well, which is if it happened. <laughs> right? So you can say, it's possible, it could happen, I can look at the concepts and analyze them, and there is no contradiction in the concepts, therefore it is possible. Look at the concept of a horse, look at the concept of a horn in its head, see if they can go together. There's no reason why they couldn't go together, therefore it's possible. Another way of, of doing it would be, hey, we found this island and it's full of unicorns and they've been tested and they're not fakes. And they're definitely real, occurring, natural, whatever, substances. So, you know, once something, once something exists, it's pretty clear that it, had the possibility to exist. <laughs> There's basic kind of logic stuff there. So. Right. Um, so as far as revelation goes, how are we going to say revelation is possible? This is the, the claim. God could 
reveal. How do we need to prove that? What is revelation? It's going to be a communication from God to man. So how do we need to show that it doesn't can, that that notion of revelation doesn't contain a contradiction? We have to look at on God's side. Is it impossible for Him to communicate that reality, that truth? And on man's side, is it impossible for Him to receive it? And if you can say no, God could do it, and man could receive it, then the thing itself is possible. So let's look at revelation on God's side. Is it within God's power to tell us something we didn't know before? Or even let's say something we did, we could have known before, but had forgotten or were choosing to not think about, like the sinful nature of fornication. Sure. Um, in reference to God, what can we say? He, at, ver- at the very bottom minimum, he knows natural truths, naturally knowable truths like how many gods there are and whether you have a soul or not and um, whether or not you should be stealing things and whether or not there's some worship of God that's owed and whether or not you should be telling the truth or whether it's okay to tell lies sometimes. So on. Naturally noble truths. And God can definitely communicate those truths. The cause has every perfection of the effect, and if I can talk to you, then the first cause who caused me can communicate the same way. Not just, well, not in exactly the same way, but um, certainly will not be found inferior. Let's say that. Sure. Men can communicate, human beings can communicate. So can God communicate? Yes. And could he even do so in a way that's above the order of nature? Well, yeah, he made the order of nature. certainly not subject to it he could find some way to to instruct directly and in a way that we're certain that he is speaking so he could give light to a human mind to give it a thought an inspiration an illumination that's definite and clear and give it in such a way that the speaker knows for sure this is from God. Okay. How do we know that the guy who shows up to me and says, hey, God spoke to me is to be believed? That's going to take some proving. God is going to have to do something to make it reasonable to believe that guy. Because it's not just automatically reasonable that any guy who walks up to you and says, God told me this, is to be believed. Right? At least maybe we we've, maybe we've met those people. people. Would not. Right. Yeah. So that's where the whole question for Catholics comes in of oh, traditional apologetics, motives of credibility. Is it proved by something outside of the normal order of things? bears the divine stamp, miracles, prophecies, and the rest, right? Okay, so in reference to God, he knows natural truths, he can communicate them, he can do it in such a way that we're sure that he's speaking. What about on man's side? Is there any inability or impossibility for us to receive a truth? 
let's say it's quite normal for us to for human beings to be instructed by others. Just get online and look up kind of masterclass.com or whatever it is. Like all of these, everything, every YouTube ad that I get hit for is like people wanting to teach you things and um, great courses and all of this stuff. It's quite normal for us to look for instruction and teach and teaching because we want to be better and we want to know things and we're aware that we don't know everything. We want to be self-improving better people. So it's quite normal. It's not a disgrace, you know, it's not a disgrace to my dignity to sign up for a masterclass to learn something I don't know. It's like, why don't you know it yourself? I never studied it. I want to know it. In fact, it's the opposite. It's a good thing for us to learn. Right. And so if it's no disgrace for you to learn from a man who's a master of his field, perhaps, but not infallible in other respects, what's the problem with learning from God, who is the truth itself? Right? Mm -hmm. If it's not a disgrace for me to sign up for a masterclass in Indian cooking, why would it be a disgrace for me to take instruction from the author of the universe? You know? And sometimes people say, well, it would be a contradiction for God to give you an intellect and then not expect you to use your intellect. Because he gives you an intellect and then he's going to be like telling you, oh, be a zombie and you don't have to even think because I'm going to tell you everything and here it is and therefore you don't need a mind. Like, why would he give me a brain if he didn't want me to use my brain? Well, we agree. But that's not revelation. That's not what revelation is. So God communicates the truth to us and then the human intellect isn't completely re reduced to, to passivity. You know, the human mind is still capable of grasping the truth, reflecting on it. Then there's the whole work of theology, which is how does it fit together with other truths? What other things can we learn from this? How can we communicate it? How can we defend it? There's a whole... You're not meant to... I mean, Catholics who receive the faith... Catholic, the, the Catholic faith are not meant to shut up their intellects after they've got that and stop thinking. Not at all, right? So, and for God to reveal it to us doesn't mean that that's it, there's nothing more to do and he doesn't want to use our minds anymore. So, it's not contrary to man's, and let's look at the concept of revelation itself. What is it? God enlightens the mind we say speaks, obviously not speaking the way I speak to you. What am I doing to you? Communicating a thought by the medium of a symbolic sound, a word, which you grasp and then engenders a thought in your mind. So God does the same thing except without these, the symbolic sound. He doesn't need to say, make any physical noise. He cuts out that and, and goes straight to the thought in, if you like, his in the divine mind to the thought in the human mind. And then he has to enlighten the human mind to know what the truth means and that God is speaking. Is there any contradiction in any of that? Well, I can communicate my thought to you through a medium. God doesn't need to make a sound. Can he communicate a thought? If it's a perfection that I have, how can the effect be greater than the cause? If, he can, if I can communicate a thought immediately through sound, why can he not communicate a thought immediately as a spiritual 
nature to a spiritual nature. Mm -hmm. And we've already established in, in previous episodes and revisited it here that God, as the author of all of these things, is above nature. He is supernatural, therefore doesn't need to follow the normal uh, natural laws, rules of communication. Certainly not bound so by, by the natural order, no. So that's, there's no impossibility to reveal on God's part or on man, or to be revealed to on man's part. Therefore, it's, it's possible. It's not impossible. Mm -hmm. And let's say, can we go further? Would it be not only, Im, not only possible, but even kind of appropriate? Yeah, I mean, I think it would even be appropriate. Why? Because um, the natural law is accessible to everybody, but it's easier to, to be instructed by God than by Cicero, you know, or Aristotle or what have you, one of the Stoics. Mm -hmm. um, if, if, a, if a philosopher says to you, oh, you really shouldn't lie, then, okay, but he's just a man. Whereas if God says, you shall not bear false witness, like, oh, okay, better pay attention. So it, it makes the natural law more accessible to us and gives it greater weight, greater authority. And even it would show us the goodness of God in another way as well, that he bothered that we meant enough to him that he bothered to speak to us, to to communicate to us, that he wanted to deliver us from our from our perplexities, confusions, our ignorance, that he didn't want us, you know, because so many people might have looked at the world and been confused and thought, where is God? Why doesn't he tell me the truth? Well, it's appropriate that he does. And then we won't be confused anymore. So it's kind of appropriate to human beings that God could reveal. Right. So let's go a step. So, go on. I was just going to say, so it's it's fitting. It's possible. Um, and it doesn't diminish God in any way. It doesn't diminish man in any way. So at the very least, we have not been able to prove or show that revelation is contrary to any sort of reason or contrary to any sort of logic. Right. It's not impossible. And so let's go a step further because just now we were kind of mostly talking about revelation, let's say supernatural as to its manner or mode. Nat revelation of natural truths, naturally knowable truths. What about the possibility of God revealing things that are really mysterious? Okay, what's a mystery? Um, now, the full definition we'll have in here from Gary Goo won't go into that whole thing, but broadly speaking, a truth that's inaccessible to human reason. A truth inaccessible to human reason, and in the fullest sense, a mystery is something that we cannot fully grasp even though it's been even if it's been made known to us we cannot exactly see how those realities go together the deeper sense of a mystery for the classic example for, for christians the trinity of trinity of persons in one god 
theologians will claim to, well, theologians can do the work of explaining why it's not contradictory to believe that there are three persons in one God. But certainly we can't exactly see why, how it, it all fits together either in this life. And certainly we can't see why it has to be that way. Right. I think you hit on a point that we've mentioned maybe a few times when we're, we've been doing these episodes, and I'm pretty sure we're going to be hitting this point again and again as we move forward. It's not that we aren't necessarily able to prove by logic, by human reason, that the Trinity exists. We have revelation to tell us that, but we can't through our own minds prove it. But what we can do is say that it's not disprovable. It's not impossible. We can say that it's not impossible. We cannot prove it directly, but what we can do and what we hope to do in this series is to prove that the messenger who communicates it to us is worthy to be believed, is worthy to be believed as one speaking for God. And therefore, if you like, we can prove it indirectly, not from the nature mm-hmm. of the concepts of person and um, and being, substance, and their kind of metaphysical connection, not in that way, but from the credibility of the witness or the credibility of the messenger. There is every reason to believe, for example, Jesus Christ as a divine messenger, and this is what he says, including the doctrine of the Trinity. So it's kind of in extrinsic um, certitude. Well, this, okay. uh, extrinsic proof, extrinsic proof of the of the doctrine, not intrinsic proof. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the deal. We we can't prove from internal concepts that supernatural mysteries have to be that way, or even are that way, but we can prove from external evidence that. God has spoken, and we can know what he said. So that's kind of like finding an island full of unicorns um, and saying, oh, well, unicorns were possible because here's a unicorn. It's a bit like that. So there are various objections made against um, revelation of mysteries. We don't really need to go into them all, you can read, again, um, this excellent translation of, of Garigou by Dr. Minard if you want to plumb the depths of the subject. But I think we've already dealt with that thing. It, it would destroy the independence of reason. Oh, do you want your reason to be independent of the truth? Because <laughs> usually we call a reason that's independent of the truth a crazy intellect. You know, it's not in reality. Oh, no, I mean, if you're perceiving things in a way that's not in accordance with the truth. Yeah, I mean, a liar is somebody who perceives the truth and manifests something else. Or, um, but, yeah, communicates something else. Manifest is a dirty word now since the, <laughs> <laughs> um, what do we call it? The uh, the power of attraction or something, the law of right, attraction. Right, right. Um, but... Yeah. Um, no, you're not free to 
it's stupid to talk about being having an an intellect that's so free that it's independent of reality. That's sort of like you any more than it's you can talk about an eye that's free to not see color. Right? Color is what the eye sees. Color is what the eye is made for. Color is that by which you see all the other things. If you couldn't see color, you couldn't see. If you couldn't know reality, you couldn't know truth, then you couldn't know. So, not not a great objection there, I don't think. So here's an objection. The author of reason does not want us to abdicate reason. But anyone who assents to a mysterious proposition, a proposition that's not proved and is not provable, abdicates reason and becomes an unreasonable man. Therefore, it's a contradiction. What are you going to say? You're not proving it, again, from internal arguments. You're proving it from external arguments. What are they? Historically certain testimony and divine testimony, right? So the, th- the authority of God. And this is a key concept for Catholic, for Catholic even like children making the act of faith. God, who, can, who is the first truth, who can neither deceive nor be deceived. So he knows all things, and he cannot lie. So the authority is good. The authority is the perfect authority. And can God be a witness to the reality that we cannot see? Well, yeah, we've already said that's the the nature of revelation. So to accept truths that are obscure on the basis of an authority is not to abdicate reason, it's to follow it. Now, everybody's, mm, everybody's mistrustful of authority nowadays. And for the last, let's say, since, since the Enlightenment, at least, but um, particularly in the last few years, because people have been told to trust authorities and have found themselves to not agree with the evidence presented by the authorities as certain and so on in various matters, scientific and medical and what have you. So um, not everybody, but many people find themselves sure. not to trust authorities nowadays. So this argument is a, bit, a little bit against the grain for us. But in itself, it's true. It's reasonable to listen to the, the guy who knows more than you. You, well, know, sure. you listen to the, the guy with a doctorate in mathematics over, you know, a, a seven-year-old. Right. And it's true that in human things, there's not an, any absolute infallibility. So a doctorate doesn't guarantee that the man is sound and sane. But in God, it does guarantee that he's sound and sane. He cannot be deceived. He cannot get it wrong. So if you accept the truth on the basis of the divine testimony and sure signs that God has actually spoken to this person, which is going to be your motives of credibility, miracles and prophecies and the rest of it, then um, you're using your reason. You're not abdicating your reason. There's every right. sign that God has 
spoken to this. There's no contradiction in the thing I'm asking, being asked to believe, and the authority is good. That's how court cases work, for example. You accept the testimony. If the testimony is reliable, then it establishes, more or less establishes the fact. So, I mean, a, a simple example, I guess, of this. So, so the objection is, uh, if you're just relying on someone else to tell you stuff that you can't prove, then that person, that God, or that person is asking you to abdicate your reason. And uh, a simple example would be, you know, Father Franks, if you came up to me and said, Andrew, I had ice cream yesterday. Well, I have no way of proving that. I have no way of knowing that. But you told me, and I trust you, and you have established to me over time that you are trustworthy. So therefore, I believe it. That doesn't diminish my reason. In fact, my reason dictates to me that I should listen to you because my reason says you've proven to me over time that you are trustworthy. Right. So it doesn't diminish reason one bit to to give up my own opinions and trust your reality. Well, the reality, which you right. have given me. Yeah, except that I could be lying and God can Well, sure. Right. That's the difference between human faith and divine faith. But we are perfectly fine with with assenting to human uh, authority all the time. We do it all, we I mean, do it all the time. We do it all the time. So how much more so should we be giving that to God? Yeah. And I think, I think that's, that's it. You're not abdicating your reason. And even if, what's one of the arguments? We can't prove it. We can't demonstrate it from within. We say, well, yeah, but you can demonstrate it as reasonably to be believed from without. And just saying that I don't completely understand it is a basic to, basis for rejecting it. Again, that's not reasonable because it's stupid to reject something just because you don't completely understand it. What kind of God would you have if you admit I have a finite mind, he has an infinite mind, and, and then you want something where you can completely understand everything. Like no mysteries. There shouldn't be any mysteries because God should be completely understandable to man because he gave him a mind. Yeah, but these are very different sorts of minds we're talking about here. Right. The infinite then mind. You're, then mind you're, that, yeah, you're essentially stating that God then should be a finite being, in which case right. he would not be God. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a more profound objection, which is, to do with the way that the difference between God and man. So this is how it's formulated. God would not teach propositions which are meaningless. But if I cannot positively grasp a truth with my mind, it is meaningless. Therefore, there's no point God revealing because these are meaningless propositions. They don't mean the same things anyway, right? Three persons in one God. I know what a person is, but it's not that. So you're using language in ways that is so completely different from hu human realities that the language doesn't even signify. It's just dead apples and oranges. And anything that God tells me about his reality and his world is so far away from everything that I know that it's, it's essentially meaningless. Whew. So what do you do at that point? Fall back on symbols, right? Mm -hmm. and then if there are incompatible symbols for expressing the same ineffable reality then okay because none of them get to the truth and therefore 
multiple contradictory religions can be true because they're all seeing a different part of the donkey or the elephant. You know. Back to back to modernism. Right. So huh. the, the 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 key concept here is the concept of analogy. Analogy is using the same word in different senses that are not completely unrelated. So an example of completely unrelated words, a baseball bat and a vampire bat. You say equivocal, equivocal, what you like. They're just, it's the same word, but it's not even the same signification at all. Right. Um, then you have words that are used in exactly the same sense every time. Hard to find examples of that. Um, I think a, example, a name would be one, like a person's name. Well, That's always going to mean if... I, well, could, there could be different bobs, couldn't there? Uh, uh, yeah, I guess so. The example I used to use was something like tuberculosis. But I'm not a medical person, so maybe there's different strains of tuberculosis <laughs> that would sure. signify different things. Um, but... To, you know, television, we used to talk about that, but you can't even talk about that anymore because digital television and television, television, I don't know, it's a different kind of... Well, that would be, anyway, univocal uses of the same word. It's used in the same sense every time. So you can have equivocal, they're simply used in different senses. Univocal, they're used in exactly the same sense. And there's another way of speaking which is analogical. Analogical. So it's a bit the same and it's different. It's different but not completely different. There's a, tr there's a sense in which they are this truly the same, right? I see. I see what you mean. I see the ice cream. One is with the vision of the eyes. One is, if you like, with the vision of the mind. And the blessed in heaven see the essence of God. Okay. So, there's a true sense in which there's a, a real... They're not the same thing. The transmission of light waves to my optic nerve and the reception of them in a knowing way through my sense organs and through my... Whatever, through the sense species and the whole thing is different from the intellect grasping a concept. But there's some similarity as well. The object is made present to me kind of immediately. I, I, I'm in contact with it, and, I, and it's evident. Right. There's an understanding that takes place through some sort of a sense perception. There's a direct, let's say, a direct perception of some sort, yeah. Because the, the intellect isn't a sense perception, but yeah. But there's a kind of direct knowledge of a thing. Or let's say life. Is a dog alive? Is a human alive? Is a plant alive? There's, yeah, I mean, there's some meaningful sense in which there can all be said to be a life, alive. But they're definitely not live life in the same sense are they hopefully you know 
if a human being is living with the same grade of life as a plant, then um, it's not normal. <laughs> so that's, but that, so we'd say that's analogical use of language. The plant is alive, and the life of the plant is analogically related to the life of the human being. They're not completely the same. They're definitely not completely different either. In analogy, they're more different than they are the same. But there's a true sameness. All, all the different senses of love, right? Mm -hmm. I love my mom. I also love chocolate. I also love it when they have a snow day and I don't have to teach. <laughs> Actually, I don't because I'm like, I'm one of those people I really like yeah, to right. teach. Well, I just want to, yeah. I just want to teach them as many things as I can. But, um, yeah. but yeah, that's it. That's kind of, that's my problem. And, um, but they're different sorts of love, but there's a real similarity as well. So that's the thing about God. We, we say, Catholics say, you can speak meaningfully about God. It's not, to speak meaningfully, it's not necessarily that you have exact sameness. Language doesn't have to always be univocal. We can understand, we can make something common, we can make common statements about love, even statements that would be true with, I love my best friend, I love my wife, I love my mom, I love my dog, I love chocolate. You can mm -hmm. make common statements about love, like love draws us to the things we like, we love. That's a kind of common statement that would apply to all of them, even though they're different. And so you can say make two true statements about things that are not completely the same. When there's a point of similarity a real point of similarity, a real point of sameness. So it's not just like for God, all we can do is deny sameness. Some of the ways we do speak about God, we do just deny sameness and that gets us somewhere as well. God is infinite, not finite, immutable, not changeable, um, immense, not measurable different ways we can talk about god by denying imperfections or denying human ways of being but there's a kind of a three-step pro process to talking about god we say god is something we assert some truth of god and then we qualify it by denying it to be in exactly the same way that it is in human things. We deny the human mode, and then we assert a higher mode of being that refers to God. So, like, we say eminent. God is eminently good. God is good, but not in the way that human things are good, but in a higher way than human things are good, in the way that the source of all goodness can, is good. Ipsum bonum subsistens, subsistent good, existing good itself. So that's analogical knowledge. 
And that's the way that God reveals himself to us, the words that he uses. We say, no, they don't have exactly the same sense as they have in human beings. But they're not meaningless either. Right, they're not totally different. So if God reveals, you are my son, I am your father, certainly that doesn't mean the same as it does with your dad. But it doesn't mean something so different that it's incomprehensible. It just means it in a higher way that you're going to have to think about what does that mean. Mm-hmm. So the, the terms that God reveals in their analogical concepts, they express meaning, but they express it in a way that is not a human meaning. And this is sometimes where um, not, not having this analogical mindset gets people into problems. So, for example, um, the face of God, right? Um, the scriptural references to the face of God. And some people take that to mean God must have a body because he can't have a face without a body. Therefore, God has a body. Right. And In that case, we would say you're just looking at it too simply. Right. So that's taking it univocally, not analogically. Right. So God doesn't, God isn't said to have a face in that way. The other parts of scripture that we could have reference to for that, or philosophy as well for that matter. If God had a body, he would be composite, which means he wouldn't be the first cause because he would need something before that, the body and the, the mind to put together the body and the mind to make him God, to make him what he is. So, um, okay. No, analogical context. Concepts they do allow us to express mysteries in terms that are correct and to be able to tell true statements from false statements. So we might know ex- not know exactly the full significance of person when we talk about the Trinity. We might not be able to plumb the whole depths of what person means. But we can definitely tell that there are three persons in God and there are two persons in God are different statements. And we can distinguish one that's been told to us from heaven from one that's not. Fair enough. So you can at least distinguish true expressions from false expressions. And then um, we do have a certain certitude about those statements from the divine testimony And therefore, we do really have access to knowledge which is otherwise inaccessible. It's knowledge which is expressed in analogical language very often. Not meaningless, but fuller with meaning than the mere human sense. Therefore, we constantly have to ask ourselves, am I limiting my understanding of this by uh, taking it too univocally? We live in a very univocal world. Right. So um, the whole purpose of, of a liberal arts education is partly to form an analogical mind, I think. Mm-hmm. So then the, that's about where we are with that. Last thing I would want to say before I move on is, or before I hand over to Father McFarland, is 
not only is revelation possible of natural truths, not only could it be possible of supernatural mysteries through analogy, but it could even be possible a revelation that is made not directly only to me, but is made immediately through an appointed representative to other people. And that's, um, again, why? Because there's no contradiction in that, in that account. God has the right, if he wants, to appoint men as messengers. He has the ability to make their message not get lost or corrupted. He can protect the, the, the message. And he has the power to show the messenger to be a true messenger for God by giving an unmistakable sign of the divine origin of the message, the divine approval of the messenger, in ways that nobody can doubt. So, nobody reasonable would doubt, let's say. So he can furnish, yeah, you were not just asked to believe anybody who comes up to me and says, I'm from God, but if God can appoint a messenger and show us for sure that this person has the divine approval because he does things that nobody could do just on their own, at that point it becomes reasonable to believe. So on God's side, there's no problem, there's no contradiction in appointing a messenger to reveal through the messenger. What about on man's side? There's no contradiction there either because men can act as messengers. They can even act as messengers of mysteries. How? By using normal analogical language. By saying human words and realizing that they have a a true sense in which they're used in a human way, but in a higher sense, without the imperfections, said in an eminent way. So you can communicate these things to other people, and generally, especially in religious matters, men are willing to listen to others. Most of us don't think that we're gurus. This is the age of the guru, Everybody's a guru. I suppose I'm a guru. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a guru. <laughs> but, well, we can, we can make you one. I mean, no, don't do why that. Why not? Okay. <laughs> um, but everybody's looking for the, the, the guru to explain to them the mysteries of life, the universe, and everything. And so, especially in religious matters, that's how we get all these kind of cults started off and things. People want to be directed in those matters. So um, there's no contradiction there. And there's no contradiction, last of all, in believing that God gave a message to a man to pass on. In hearing a man and believing that it comes from God. Any more than there would be in receiving a legate and believing that he comes from the king. He sure. tells me... Uh, do this, God wants you to do this, and um, and I believe it. So that's just a question of, is he trustworthy as a spokesman? Well, if God can provide a spokesman and there are divine signs that he should be listened to, there's really not a big problem there. So, and anyway, it's the normal way that God acts. Right? God gives me life. How does God give me life? Through my parents. 
through the oxygen that I breathe, through the food that I eat, and so on. Right. Not just immediately God gives me life. He usually works through what we call secondary causes, through natural processes, other things apart from himself. Mm-hmm. So why should it be any different with the way when he, get, when he teaches me the truth? Why should everybody just get a whew, 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 divine infusion and then um, not learn from somebody else? He usually does teach through other, other people. So um, that's just it's kind of the way that God acts. Because this was um, Jean-Jacques Rousseau's objection. He said, I would prefer to have heard God myself. I would have not have been more, it would not have been more difficult for him, and I would have been protected from deception. Why should there be men standing between me and God? Mm. Okay. Well, that's a very, as a sentiment that appeals to us, the spirit of the French Revolution is still the spirit of the modern age. Like, I don't want a man over me. Especially for a... I've, I had that conversation with a, a lady... Um, was not a Catholic. She's just like, I've never been dependent on a man and I don't want to be dependent on a Catholic priest for my path to God. We're getting a bit ahead of ourselves by talking about Catholic priests, but um, that's the idea. I want a direct conduit. I don't want to be dependent on having to listen to somebody else to say what God has revealed. It's what Rousseau says. What are you going to say to that? This is kind of similar to the temptation of, you know, show me a miracle, show me a sign. We want some sort of a direct sign or symbol or... or, or well, I think that it's reasonable to God. ask for a miracle or a sign at some point in the history of the religion that you're entertaining joining. Sure, yes. It doesn't, you don't have to be physically present for it in your historical age. If it's documented by credible testimony, then that should be sufficient. The sun danced for 72,000 people, what do you want? Like... <laughs> But right. I want to be there. Right. Well, okay, well. Well, you weren't. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what do we say to Rousseau? I think we would just say, look, God is already giving a gift to us, which is information that we didn't know before, that we didn't have the right to, that is going to give us more truth and help us. So that's already a gift. Now, it's a bit bratty to be like, well, I want a better gift. If it is a better gift. But there are some reasons why it might not even be a better gift. So, first of all, it, it, if we're all gathered around one person to listen to the message that they are giving from God, it already kind of creates a society which answers to a deep need in human beings to have people around them of like mind to support and live a common life. Already kind of naturally creates a social body, a society, just by the fact that we're all going to the same person to listen to them. And then, yeah, it does give me more opportunities in that context to kind of live a virtuous life, to be humble. Okay, well, maybe I'm not the best human being ever to live, and maybe... I have to resign myself to God spoke to somebody else, and maybe that's okay. Right. Not a bad thing to need to rely on others. No. In itself, no. 
But so, arguably, um, there are some advantages to God not just telling me naturally himself, just directly, like supernaturally, but just directly to my mind. But there's some advantages to me having to listen to somebody else. It's the way that God normally does things. It kind of fosters social, a religious kind of social common life. And it, it's good for humility as well. <laughs> um, so let's just kind of back up this whole thing. What can you do okay. if you have revelation that you couldn't do before? You can know for sure things of the natural order and natural religion that you might have been doubtful about. Especially if you're an average guy who's just farming his field or, you know, doing whatever he's doing. He's busy, he's a working man, doesn't have, maybe he's not that smart, maybe he's got a bunch of kids, doesn't have time for reading Aristotle, doesn't have time for reading Cicero, just, um, just living his life. Well, God's like, hey, you can get the 100% correct view on natural religion and natural um, the obligations that you have without having to take the time to read Cicero and so on. And you can get it at the beginning of your life so that you can order your life well. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of seems like that would be a fitting thing to do and a kind thing for God to do. Secondly, um, it can save us from making many blunders and errors because obviously the passions get in the way, the emotions get in the way. We can, oh, no, that's not, I mean, that's fine. It's not really, he doesn't really mean that. I mean, for example, the ancients, I mean, you'll see with Father McFarlane, but the ancients, um, they were pretty clear on the morality of marriage, that you don't cheat on your wife. But whatever you did before marriage was kind of like a, kind of a free-for-all right. <laughs> on the whole. Because um, it's like, well, nobody's, it's not offending against justice. Nobody's being hurt here, so what's the problem, really? Right. Um, and then certainly we have the opportunity to learn new truths that we couldn't learn before. Like, you cannot know if, if they're angels or not. You think about it for 100 years, you'll still never work it out. Right. So we have the chance to learn more truth, which if you have a, a well-working intellect and an intellectual curiosity, you're just like, I want truth. Give me truth. I don't care what it comes from. It comes from study of the natural world, great. If it comes from philosophy, great. If it's told to me from God and it's preserved from error, great. Give me truth. Give me more truth. Yeah, that's absolutely. That's what it's for. That's what my mind is for. So, and that's what we should all be striving for anyway. And that's, and that's wonderful. So there you are. Revelation is possible, but we don't haven't at this stage of our discussion established if it happened. Although, okay. you know, I'm a Catholic priest, so I think it happened. And, <laughs> you know, right. you can work out where I think it is. But um, <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> right. Not much of a cliffhanger there, but, you know, whatever. But for the but for the sake of of academically going through this point by point, that's where we're ending it today. We're just looking at the fact that revelation it's possible. It's not contradictory. It's possible seems like it would be appropriate, and it seems fitting and yeah. all that. Well, that's great. That's where we are. Excellent. Right, well, thanks, Andrew. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. I appreciate it, Father. That was excellent. And uh, we'll chat with you. I don't know another time coming up soon. Yep. Maybe. All right. Ciao. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Father. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Apologetic Series on the SSPX podcast and on our YouTube page. Please consider subscribing to the YouTube account and the podcast on Apple Podcasts, 
Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are found. And please consider leaving a rating or a review on this podcast. This will help to make sure more people can find this podcast and discover the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism. Until next time, thank you for joining us and God bless you.